Good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Emily. I'm one of the pastors here at New Denver. And today we are wrapping up our series on the five love languages. So I want to go back and recap a little bit of what we've covered so far, especially if this is your first day joining us. You're at the end of a six-week series, so sorry about that. Um, Hopefully you're not too, too lost, but here's a little bit of a recap for you as we start. We've said that there are five love languages or five ways that we give and receive love And that a lot of the disconnection and dissatisfaction in our relationships with other people come when we're speaking two different love languages. The point of this series has been to first help us identify our own love language, how we best receive love and default to giving love to other people, and then also to become really good at speaking all five love languages so that we can customize how we give love to each of the most important people in our lives in the ways that they can best receive it. We've been doing a love language experiment where we're learning about one love language on Sunday and then practicing it throughout the week. And I hope these past five weeks have been helpful for you if you've been following us in this series. And I hope that today isn't the end of this conversation, but is really just the beginning of a new way of loving the people in our lives more intentionally. As followers of Jesus, we're called to be the most loving people in the world. He says that the world will know we're his disciples by our love for one another. We've already explored gifts, quality time, words of affirmation, and physical touch. So today, we will be diving into our fifth love language, which is acts of service. I want to do a little bit of an exercise as we begin. So everybody, close your eyes. Imagine this. It's been a long day. You're mentally, emotionally, and physically drained. You're on your way home, and all of a sudden, you remember how the house looked when you left this morning. It was a disaster. There were dirty dishes in the sink, clothes on the floor, the trash was overflowing. You don't normally leave the house in such disarray, but today you overslept and were in such a rush that it was all you could do to throw your shoes on and race out the door. You just pulled up to the house and As you walk in, you smell something. To your surprise, it smells good. It's not the aroma of rotting garbage that you anticipated walking into. It's the smell of a delicious, gourmet, home-cooked dinner wafting through the air. You discover that someone has beaten you home and that they've picked up the floor, taken out the trash, washed all the dishes, and are making you your favorite meal. You feel your shoulders relax and the stress of the day begin to fade away open your eyes. If you feel like I just jerked you out of an incredible dream partway through, your love language may be acts of service. I feel like acts of service sounds like the holiest love language by far, doesn't it? So it's only appropriate that these people have waited so, so very patiently for their turn. I think these people are saints. Now, you don't have to look very hard in Scripture to find acts of service. Jesus talks all the time about how his followers are to be servants of all and how he himself came not to be served but to serve. We're going to look at one story from Jesus' life, and it may be familiar to you, but we're going to switch things up and read it in the message version today. So this is John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world to go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. It was supper time. The devil by now had Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, firmly in his grip, all set for the betrayal. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. When he got to Simon Peter, Peter said, Master, you wash my feet? Jesus answered, You don't understand now what I'm doing, but it will be clear enough to you later. Peter persisted, You're not going to wash my feet ever. Jesus said, If I don't wash you, you can't be part of what I'm doing. Master, said Peter, Not only my feet then, wash my hands, wash my head. Peter's so enthusiastic. He's very all or nothing. Jesus said, if you've had a bath in the morning, you only need your feet washed now and you're clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene. So now you're clean, but not every one of you. He knew who was betraying him. That's why he said, not every one of you. After he had finished washing their feet, he took his robe, put it back on, and went back to his place at the table. Then he said, do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so, that is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. Jesus whose God himself is sitting with his friends, sharing a meal, what he knows will be their last meal together before he's killed. This is his chance to give them his final or departing thoughts. He's taught them so much in the last few years, and now this meal is like his closing ceremonies. What does he want them to remember when he's gone? There are a few things, but John records this first. Jesus washes their feet a job that would have usually been reserved for a household servant to do. Jesus takes the place and posture of a servant and washes his friend's gross, dirty feet. This is how he wants to be remembered. And he instructs them to do the same. He says, if I, the master and teacher, have washed your feet, now you should wash each other's feet. I've set an example for you of acts of service. If you want to be my followers, you need to serve one another. It's actually in the same chapter, just a few verses later, that he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We looked at that passage the very first week of the series, but now look again, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. How has Jesus just loved them? Through acts of service, by washing their feet, Service is the context of the verse in which we're told to love as Jesus loves. So what are acts of service? Maybe we get this intuitively, but maybe we don't. So let me spell it out for you a little bit. Here's how Gary Chapman describes acts of service. He says, Such actions as cooking a meal, setting a table, emptying the dishwasher, vacuuming, changing the baby's diaper, picking up a prescription, keeping the car in operating condition, paying the bills, trimming the shrubs, walking the dog, and dealing with landlords and insurance companies are all acts of service. They require thought, planning, time, effort, and energy. If done with a positive spirit, they are indeed expressions of love. Acts of service are all the practical things that need to get done. 
doing laundry, washing dishes, taking out the trash, scheduling appointments, all the things that fill our to-do lists on top of all the things we have to do for work and all the things we want to do for ourselves. It's all the little extras in life, the things that can make life feel stressful or cluttered, the things that we feel like we need to get done before we can really rest. When someone's primary love language is acts of service, they feel so loved when someone does something to help lift their load. When someone does something that takes just one thing off their plate, crosses just one thing off their to-do list, that, to them, communicates love. An acts of service person would be the first to say, don't just tell me that you love me, show me. I don't need empty words, I need an empty dishwasher. They would be the first ones to love others in this way too. They're the ones to jump up and start clearing the table after you've shared a meal together. And you might offer to help or pitch in and they'll say, no, 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 don't worry about it. I got it. You just relax. They know how loved they feel when others do these things for them. And they're the first ones to reach out and do these things for others too. Acts of service people are generous with their time and their energy. They're willing to do all the little things that nobody else wants to do. This is how they show their love. This is why I say these people are saints. Now, there are two approaches to speaking this love language, and we've got to get good at both of them. The first approach is reactive. It's about responding to requests. For the person whose love language is acts of service, Gary Chapman encourages you to make requests and cautions against making demands. He says, no one likes to be forced to do, to do anything. In fact, love is always freely given. Love cannot be demanded. We can request things of each other, but we must never demand anything. Requests give direction to love, but demands stop the flow of love. It's okay to make requests for how you would like others to serve you. It's good and helpful even. In any love language, it's helpful to make requests instead of making the people in your life guess how to best love you. And usually when you request something specific of someone who loves you, they're more than happy to try to make it happen if they can. But making requests and making demands are different. So be open-handed with your requests. Make requests and then trust that if the person is able to help, they will And if not, they'll answer honestly and tell you that. That's a big key here for those of us who are learning to speak this love language. If someone asks you to do something for them, respond to their request honestly. It's so much better to know up front whether a person is going to be able to follow through with their request or not. Let me paint you a picture. You're having a conversation with your best friend. You're both vaccinated and you're planning on hanging out tomorrow. They're going to come over for dinner and so you ask them if they might be willing to stop at the store and grab a loaf of bread on their way. It's gluten-free, don't freak out. They say, yes, of course, absolutely. And then the next day they show up to your door empty-handed. My guess is that you are not a happy camper, especially if your primary love language is acts of service. Now, is the bread that big of a deal? Maybe, depending on what you're making for dinner, but probably not. So what's the problem? The problem is, when you say you're going to do something, and then you don't do it, that communicates that you didn't think their request was important enough to prioritize. And it makes the person feel pretty unloved. They might think something like this, if you knew your day was going to be crazy, and you wouldn't have time to stop at the store, 
I wish you would have just told me. It wasn't that big of a deal, and I could have gone and gotten it myself. If you had done it for me, I would have felt loved, but you could have just said, sorry, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that for you tomorrow. Is there something else I could do for you instead? Or is there something else I could bring that I already have at home so I don't have to stop at the store? That would have been way better than you saying yes to a request and not coming through. I know sometimes we think we'll have the capacity to do something and then other things come up and we don't get to it, but I think generally we have a pretty good grasp on what our day is going to hold and what extras we can and can't handle. If you know you're a person who says yes to everything and overcommits and has a problem with following through, this could be a good challenge for you today. Maybe this little rhyme will help. Be realistic in what you can do and be sure to follow through. I wrote that one myself. So that's the first approach to loving someone through acts of service, and it's the reactive approach. For the acts of service person, make requests, not demands, and for the recipient of the request, try to honestly assess whether or not this is something you can do, and if you do commit to it, make sure to follow through. Chapman says this, remember, every time you delay or refuse to serve, you send a clear message. This task isn't important to me. It's hard for someone not to take that personally and assume you mean something more. You aren't important to me. The second approach to loving someone through acts of service is the proactive approach of taking the initiative to discover how you might serve them. There are two ways to do this. One way is you can ask questions to try to figure out what you can do to serve this person that's going to have the greatest impact on them. Not every task is created equal. There are some things an acts of service person might genuinely not mind doing, or to them it might not feel like a huge sacrifice. So if you were to pitch in and do one of those things, it wouldn't be nearly, nearly as meaningful as if you served them in a different way. Chapman says, you have to consider which acts of service will have the most impact on the recipient. We've said this about other love languages too, so I hope that you're starting to realize every person is different and how they receive love is going to be unique to them. Learning how to love someone better and more intentionally requires communication. It takes asking the question, what can I do that will make you feel loved? Or in the case of acts of service, what can I do to help lift your load? Maybe they want you to make the bed or feed the dog, or maybe what they really want is for you to take the car into the shop so they don't have to. If you have an acts of service person in your life who you're close to, begin regularly asking them questions like, what can I do for you today? Or what can I do for you tomorrow? Or what can I do for you this week? What can I do that would help lift your load or take something off your plate? Ask let them make a request, and then make a valiant effort to do that particular thing. Doing that thing is what's going to have the greatest impact. That's what's going to make them feel loved. It still involves responding to requests, but instead of them being the one to start the conversation, you're being proactive by taking the initiative and prompting them to think about what they might ask of you. You being proactive and initiating is a blessing in itself so that they don't feel like they're having to nag or pester or ask you to do things for them in order for you to show love to them. The other way to show someone love proactively through acts of service is to surprise them and beat them to the punch. I hate to say it, but 
If we're honest, I think it can be easy sometimes for some of us to treat the acts of service people in our lives like doormats. Just because they're willing to do all these things that no one else is willing to do doesn't mean that they should always have to be the ones doing them. Remember, they feel the most loved when they receive acts of service. So instead of letting them be the one to pour out and serve, if you want to love this person well, you've got to get really good at beating them to the punch. I actually think this is probably the most fun way to love someone through acts of service. It's a little bit sneaky and kind of exciting, and it feels sort of like a game. If you have an acts of service person in your life and you know their habit is to mow the lawn on Sunday, mow it for them on Saturday. If you know that they always fill up the gas in their car when their gauge hits empty, fill up the gas in their car when the gauge is at a quarter tank. If you know that they're going to cook dinner and have it ready at six o'clock, text them at noon and say, I'm bringing home Chinese and I'm going to clean up the dishes when we're done. Don't walk all over acts of service people. Instead, get good at beating them to the punch and surprise them with serving them in ways they aren't expecting, but that you know they will find meaningful. That's a great way to be proactive in loving them. And it may even mean more to them and make them feel even more loved because they didn't have to ask for it. I'm not sure if this needs to be said, but just to cover all our bases here, an act of service doesn't count if it's something you're already expected to do or if you do it with a bad attitude. Your own to-do list doesn't count. If your regular responsibility is to take out the trash, then you taking out the trash doesn't really count as an act of service in the way we're talking about it here. Loving a specific person through acts of service means doing things to lift their load, not just doing the things you're already supposed to do as part of your own load. And if you do something for them, but you do it begrudgingly or reluctantly, that's not going to make them feel loved. Service with a smile is what we're after here. Channel your inner Chick-fil-A employee. It is your pleasure to serve this person whom you love. Let's do a little review. There are two approaches to loving someone through acts of service, and we've got to get good at both. The The first approach is reactive, and it's responding to requests. We said that you need to respond to requests honestly and be sure to follow through when you commit to doing something. And then the second approach, the proactive approach, is to regularly ask the service people in your lives questions like, what can I do to help lift your load? And then respond to those requests. Or to beat them to the punch and do something that you know they're planning on doing but don't actually want to do or just could use a break from doing. And finally, we said that acts of service only count if it's taking something off their plate, not your own, and if you're serving with a smile. Got it? So for your final love language experiment challenge, I want you to ask your experiment partner, what's one thing I can do for you this week to help lift your load? If it's something you can do, commit to doing it and then follow through. If their request is something that you don't think you can do, ask them if there's something else that you might do instead. And keep asking until you find a request that you can say yes to. And that's it. Those are the five love languages. Now, before we go, I thought it would be really fun to get to hear from the experts. So, panelists, you can come up now. I'm going to ask a few questions, and we can hear from a real-life person who embodies each of the five love languages, and they will have the final words of wisdom for us as we wrap up this series. All right. Hi, guys. Hello. So, 
Hello. First, I'm just going to have you introduce yourself. So tell us your name, how long you've been attending New Denver, just a little bit about yourself, and then what your primary love language is. We'll start with Daniel, and we'll just go down the line. Hi, I'm Daniel Wilson. Uh, I've been going to NDC almost three years now, I think. Um, I'm an interior designer, interior architect, um, married to the lovely Leanne, who was tickling the keys earlier. Um, and my primary love language is physical touch. I'm Katie Tenholzen. Um I've been going to New Denver for about seven years now. I work for the state of Colorado with a lot of spreadsheets. Um, and my primary love language is quality time. Um, I'm Ellery Perks. I've been going to Denver for, well, since it started. Um, You're a lifer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still a student, um, and my primary love language is the words of affirmation. I'm Phil Schultz, and I've been at NDC for seven years. And I'm currently a teacher uh, at a Christian school in Littleton. And my primary love language is gifts. And I'll interrupt for one second. That's like the famous Phil Schultz who I've talked about, I think, every week. So if you thought I was making him up or you've never met him, that's my husband. She only talks about me because we're married. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My name's Jackie Howard. I've been going to NDC for about six months now. Um, When my husband came on staff, my primary love language, I am now a saint, I've been told today, acts of service, um, is my primary love language. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for being here and, um, yeah, being willing to just help us out a little bit. So um, describe for us how you best receive love. Give us a little refresher of your love language, especially for those who maybe missed the week when we talked about yours. Um, And then if you could get specific, too, tell us a story about a time when you felt really loved by someone who spoke your love language to you. I guess I'll start again. Yeah. Uh, So physical touch. Um, it seems like it's the most controversial of the love languages. Uh, in our D group, we sort of talked more about the negative aspects or the consequences of doing it wrong. Um, I find that it, I receive it mostly from Leanne, uh, just because that's who I am with all the time, and, and from my family. Um, I'm sort of a, a masochistic physical touch person because I, I have no interest in most people touching me. <laughs> Um, but it is what I require to feel love primarily. Um, so an example, I guess, would be just at the end of the day, um, you know, my love tank is drained. Uh, I pick Leanne up from work, and uh, maybe we'll hug or kiss, or, you know, I'll touch her shoulder while we're driving or something like that, uh, just to kind of re-energize that for me. So quality time is like it sounds, um, just spending time together, whether you know, you're know you doing an activity together or just like sitting on the couch talking or just being together. Um, something that recently happened to me was I was coming back from visiting my parents for Christmas. Don't worry, I quarantined before and after. Um, and my friend knew that I was gonna be driving through her, her town and she was like, why don't you just stop by and let the dog out in the backyard so that your dog can you know, have a little exercise. And we kept our masks on the whole time. We didn't really talk about anything like deep or important, but just to have that bit of refreshment, like it really helped me you know, break up my journey that day and 
I was renewed and felt really loved by them. Um, well, yeah, words of affirmation. It's being told you're loved in that way. Um, so if you compliment something about me, I'm going to feel loved. Even if you don't mean it, I probably won't know. <laughs> but, um, so one time in social studies, we were learning about Greek mythology, and I love Greek mythology, and I knew all the answers. So when I finally knew an answer in that class, I was really happy, and later, my friends complimented me on knowing an answer. And so I felt really loved. That's awesome. Um, yeah, for gifts, maybe we're the most materialistic, but we just get love. I'm just kidding. It's, I think you made a joke about that, didn't you? I, yeah, that it's like actually kind of the opposite. I right, think. it kind of is, yeah. Because yeah. for me, whatever I receive, I actually feel loved. Um, and I think this can be personality. Like if gifts is your major love language, but you're more particular, you're more specific, maybe you could be let down in that love language a little bit more. But for me, I love all things. And if, whatever you gave me, I feel really happy and, and excited about. Um, and why we think we receive love that way is because people thought about us. And when they give us something, it's very intentional. And so we feel loved in that way. And so the, the main story that comes out to me is... Um, I think I was in middle school, like seventh or eighth grade, and I really wanted a Papazon chair. Do you guys know what those are? Those like circle chairs, and I don't even know why I wanted one. I don't know like if I saw one at my school or whatever, but I, I put it on my Christmas list, and my grandma got it for me for Christmas, and I remember opening it and just feeling so, so excited. And uh, it, it, But it could, be, it could be something like that, but it could also be something smaller. Um, so I had a student one time, just bake me a paleo cupcake, a paleo chocolate cupcake for no reason. And it was just as exciting as getting the Papa's on chair. Like it was literally just as good and I was just as happy and felt just as loved in that same way. Um, okay, so Emily just went over acts of service and I was just sitting there shaking my head the whole time because all those little things definitely add up to if you have an acts of service person in their life, whether it's... Um, my husband is great at taking packages to FedEx for me or um, changing tires because it happens to me all the time. Apparently, I pop tires. I'm really great at it. Um, a, a story that comes to mind for me for acts of service is, you know, when you book a vacation and you get super excited and then you go online to your favorite airline and you look at all the tickets and you inevitably every time pick the cheapest one which is always flying out at 7 in the morning and you're excited and then it's like a week out and you're working your way back and you're like well that means I gotta leave my house at basically the middle of the night and you get that pit in your stomach because who is going to drive you to the airport in the middle of the night so you can make the 7 a.m. flight Um, I had this happen to me and my brother I was kind of talking him through with it and he just out of the blue was like, oh, I'll drive you. Not a problem. Uh, I didn't ask. I didn't have to ask. He wasn't bitter about it, like what Emily was saying, like great attitude. He came to my house at 4.30 in the morning, drove from Highlands Ranch to my house in Denver to DIA. Um, and it was just a way that I felt so loved. We, we did talk in the car ride, but as an active service person, we, we could have driven in silence um, it wasn't quality time. He didn't come on the vacation with me. Um, he truly just 
drove me somewhere and it made me feel incredibly loved. Cool. Um, okay, so last question for you guys. As we wrap up this series, what do you want people to leave knowing about your love language? What reminder, encouragement, or challenge would you like to give us today so it's fresh in our brains as we go from here? Um, I would just encourage everyone. Uh, I'm sure we all have someone that has physical touch as their first or second love language. and uh, I would just encourage everyone to give them a hug or you know, an elbow bump or something right now, but once everything is better, you know, just uh, uh, practice the art of the hello hug and the goodbye hug. I think they would really appreciate that. Great. In terms of quality time, I think that something that I've noticed has been really good for me is like having kind of a set time set up with, you know, a person in your life, whether, you know, it's a family member who is virtual, so you can like have a set-up phone call every week or every month or something, or if someone that you live with is quality time, you know, like maybe something every week that you can both look forward to, and just having that time like on the schedule and being able to kind of like plan for that, I think can be a really important way to show that you love them. Did you hear that one, Phil? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, Ellery. Um, well, I guess just complimenting people just because, even if it's not their um, love language, just do it. I mean, it'll always make people feel loved in some way. Yeah. I love that. I love um, you said that yours is the most controversial, like especially with strangers and people you don't know well, and words is like the opposite. No one's going to be offended if you say something nice to them, ever, even if you don't know them. I love that. Thanks, Ellery. Yeah, and I think for gifts... It's one of those things where it depends on the person that you're with. Um, I think of gifts. We always give gifts at Christmas or some of those other holidays. And just know your family members or know the people you're giving gifts to. If you know gifts is one of their bigger love languages, put more time and more thought into that gift. Um, If you know that for them it doesn't actually hold a lot of weight, um, still try. Still give them a gift of some kind. But just... I think knowing the people around you with this one is actually really important. Um, Because for me, you could give me anything, I'd be happy. But (laughs) for somebody else, maybe that's not the case. Um, But let's say your spouse or uh, somebody that you're really close with, um, is you know gifts is one of their main love languages. Um, Just make it a point once every month just to surprise them with something. Um, You don't know the type of joy that'll give them in that moment and how that'll carry on for a couple days at least. Um, and so that's a, that would be my challenge for you guys with that. Uh, my challenge for acts of service is when you're going through something, whether it's exciting or it's difficult, and that somebody you know is an acts of service person, that that's how we give love. Um, and we ask you, what can we do for you, or do you need anything? Um, that is truly a genuine ask, because I'm going to do something for you no matter if you ask or you don't. <laughs> So um, when you have somebody in your life that asks you that question and you really need your dog let out or you need a a ride to the airport, um, I challenge you to respond with something Um, because we truly are asking and we truly are going to. You might need a ride to the airport, but I clean your house instead, and that's not going to end up making you feel loved um, maybe in that way that you truly needed it. So those aren't just empty words coming from us acts of service people when we um, would love to be pointed in the right direction. That's awesome. 
Thanks, guys. Can you thank our panel? You guys can go have a seat again. We'll clear off the chairs. Um, yeah, I said I would give them the last words, so I'm just going to pray for us, and we will end it right there. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you've wired us in these unique ways that you are so creative and that you've made us um, with similar longings and desires, but you've also just crafted us each a little bit differently, crafted us uniquely in the ways that we give and receive love are unique to us. Um, And God, it's so amazing that you are just perfect at all of this. We try and sometimes we succeed in loving other people well, And sometimes we fail, and they don't feel loved by us. Um, But God, when you love us, you you never fail. Um, Thank you that we can look to you as the model and example in each of these love languages of how to do it well. And that when we stumble or when we forget, we can just look back to you, back to Jesus, and see, oh, that's how to do that. That's how to love people in a way they can receive it. I pray that we would receive your love today, and I pray that as we go from here and end this series, that you will continue to stir our hearts and remind us of how to love the people you've placed in our lives in the ways that they can best receive not just our love, but your love through us. In Jesus' name, amen.